It is Canuck Central, Dan Richo, Satyar Shah, hour number two of the program. This hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company, helping local business since 1892. If you missed hour one of the program, uh, we uh, got into what the Canucks are prioritizing after... Uh, uh, and we found out a little bit more of what Patrick Alvine was truly prioritizing in the Bo Horvat deal. You can go back and check that out. It's now available on podcast. Subscribe, leave a review while you're there for Canuck Central. You get all of our inside info, exclusive interviews, and every single post-game show of every single Canucks game. Uh, so, a little bit of breaking news from the Vancouver Canucks. Tiny bit of breaking news. Not like a big thing. Small thing. A very small thing that we sort of knew was coming. But uh, Spencer Martin has been loaned to Abbotsford and Arthur Silovs has been called up. He is uh, likely to be the backup tomorrow night for Colin Delia against the New York Rangers. Yeah, uh, the best curveball would be that Silovs gets a start. Ooh, yes, that would be the curveball. Yeah, and I, that's just me you know saying i have no idea what they're gonna i mean my my guess is delia is yeah. gonna play silov is gonna back up and this is a bit of a the, the the canucks don't play abbotsford canucks don't play yeah silov's has played well get him up a game here right get an nhl paycheck for a couple of days yep. get the backup work with ian clark and thatcher demko is going to be here right uh and delia is here too so i think it's a bit of a reward for him and they got spencer martin through waivers which they wanted to do and they have the option to recall Martin at any point, and he wouldn't require waivers if they wait to a certain point until the end of the season. So we'll see ultimately what they do. Uh, and uh, Thatcher Demko revealed today uh, that uh, he was upset to hear that uh, the rumor of him uh, mm. uh, wanting out uh, shot it down uh, publicly. Uh, we obviously uh, had that news from Kevin Woodley uh, weeks ago here on Canuck Central. Woodley joins us every Wednesday, our goalie guru, and um, also said that uh, he is uh, planning to be the backup Saturday against the Philadelphia Flyers at Rogers Arena. Um, a lot of reaction to the OEL discussion on the Dunbar Lumber text line, 650-650. This one comes in, uh, Dan and Sat. Can you politely ask OEL to retire? <laughs> I don't think it's going to work that way. Too uh, much money. Don't don't think you can do that. Uh, another from Gary says, uh, Robida Island, send him there. You, you can't do that unless he's actually hurt. Yeah. Like Robida went to the island because he was injured. Like he mm -hmm. actually had an injury. And, you know, he, and people thought that they were faking it just to get him off the books or whatever. But he had a bad knee injury and he wanted to come back and he couldn't. And he talked about it a few couple of years afterwards and, you know, he discussed it. So the whole Robida Island has become part of mythology to some extent. Yes. You can't do it unless a guy, a guy actually has an injury he can't play with. Um, there's been a lot of situations where it's like, eh, is there really an injury? Yeah. Uh, Joffrey Lupul. Right. Yes. That's the one. That's the way. I'm that not saying anything. More, yeah. A lot of questions. A lot that, of questions. There was more around Joffrey Lupul like, than, than there was Stefan Robida. Yes. Uh, I'll like, say that. Yeah. Lupul, there was like a lot of questions. <laughs> and I don't know what happened there, honestly. And I wonder how it all worked out. Yeah. But the Robida one, I think they got linked together. You know? Yeah. And it's, it's like, no. It, it is sort of. Um, it's one of those situations. You get to a certain point of your NHL career and you probably have a lot of 
injuries that you've been holding through your career yeah. or a recurring injury of some kind, something that you're constantly managing through your days as an NHL mm-hmm. player that you could say, well, I'm, I just, I'm not, I'm not willing to deal with this anymore. So I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna call it quits here. Yeah. Right? I mean, so, you know, so like yeah. there are situations like that for sure. Um, especially back injuries. I know, uh, I can't remember. I think it was PJ, I uh, wrote about um, you know Dave Boland's injury earlier this, yeah, this there, week. I mean, even Luongo, the reason he could retire, because yeah. I mean, he could try to play through it, but there's enough there that it made sense for him just to go to LTIR. You're going to be physically unable to play. Somebody texted in and said, um, how about Marion Hosa and him having allergies to his gear, essentially? <laughs> and, and I mean, hey, fair point. And but you're talking about a player who had what, like three, three, four years remaining on his contract at that point, yeah. making a million dollars per year. Like that's mm-hmm. the way the contract backdove. So when he, quote unquote, went on LTIR, he was only getting paid a million. Mm-hmm. It was only a million dollar charge in terms of insurance, and I think he was happy not to play at that point. Yeah, you know, the, a player has to agree to this. You can't just tell a player you're going on LTIR for the next four years. Yeah, do you want to play hockey or not? And if OEL wants to play hockey, he's not going to agree to that. Uh, and and he's still you know on the younger side. You know a lot of these yeah, guys 30 are thirty five plus when yeah. uh, when these decisions come down the line. So you know that's that's you know one of the tough parts of it. Uh, this question comes in Jonathan from Abbotsford. A little education needed. Why can't the league just increase the cap? Uh, so it's very. Con- I mean, he's right. I mean, they could. So basically, what he says. Why should they not look at? He had another text that followed up and said. Um, it's good for the game to create more movement in the NHL, raise the cap and everything. Yeah. The reason it doesn't happen is because it's collectively bargained, the salary cap. Mm-hmm. And there's a deal in place right now with the players and the owners that's capped escrow, and it's until they pay things off. And once this is done, there's another collective bargaining agreement in a few years. They're going to try to negotiate. And because of negotiations and everything, why would you give another side something for no reason? I think that's the way they look at it. Like, as as much as it, as much as it would be good for the game, I think the owners look at it and say the players still owe us money because we took a big hit during the pandemic and we agreed to this, and we're not going to open things up and yeah. forego that until it gets paid off because we're giving them something without getting something back in return here, you know. And and that's usually from collective bargaining standpoint, you don't give something like that away, and that's why they wouldn't do it. And you can always just point to the CBA and say we agreed to this deal until. You know, the owed money from the players is paid off, which they're close to doing. Yep. Then the salary cap can go up. Revenues have been up. Um, they've done some things. Obviously, the ad jerseys, the jerseys, uh, uh, the ads on jerseys. If I can speak English for a moment, <laughs> uh, the ads on the jerseys uh, have brought in extra revenues. The ads on the helmets have brought in extra revenues. The digital board ads that everybody despises have brought in extra revenues for teams. New TV deals with uh, TNT and ESPN have brought in a little bit more money, but you know there's there's still some things also happening in the background that uh, could derail that. You know the Bally Sports uh, potential bankruptcy that's ongoing that could really hurt the National Hockey League and their projection of revenues. Even after they were projecting a salary cap increase very early on this season, you know at the next Board of Governors meetings it was like. Mm, yeah, uh, maybe not so much. So yeah, maybe yeah. maybe we should pump the brakes on that, which is usually how it happens. Yeah, if it's a small enough money, if like I think we were talking about, and maybe it's a, a, a tens of millions of dollars yes. or something, it's which a lesser amount than right. you would have expected. But with the Bally Sports thing hanging over them too, 
yeah. you might be just jumping the shark here, right? Because mm-hmm. if you go and do that, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, now you're tied up in bankruptcy for a year. You don't see that money for a year. You can't count it as a revenue. And then all of a sudden the cap goes down no matter what. So why even bother breaking what you got going on right now until that all gets figured out? And you know, we joke around about the NHL you know, with not enough movement and not having enough money. And you know, I joke around about being it being the broke boys league compared yeah. to the other big leagues. That's kind of what it is. I mean, the NHL is a league that's maxed out as credit card. Yeah. And until you pay down, un- until you stop paying the interest and actually pay down your debt, you can't get more credit. Yeah. That's where the league's at. They, mm-hmm. they got to pay off their debt. And until you pay off your debt, you gotta, <laughs> you're not going to be able to make new purchases. You're paying off interest. Your, your credit card's maxed out. The NHL is maxed out. Um, a lot of jokes per 60 texts coming in, which I know is big on the post-game show. If- Can they sell the naming rights in NHL? <laughs> NHL brought to you by American Express. <laughs> Chase Bank. Uh, <laughs> the NHL. Uh, if OEL still wants to play hockey, he should actually play hockey, not what he's doing. Uh, another text came in. Um, on Oliver Ekman Larson. I had to replay the first goal. It's usually Miller making those kinds of passes across the ice and slow back, check and smashing stick, uh, OEL doing his best Miller impression. Uh, yeah, that's uh, the funny thing about uh, Rick Tockett's you know, smashing stick comment last night. A lot of people thought it was, you know, a shot at JT Miller, but. The only player I saw smash his stick last night was Oliver Ekman Larson. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a message to everyone mm-hmm. because, you know, we see Miller do it quite a few times. Yep. But um, I think last night it was OEL. Yeah. Right? And I, I saw a lot of people say, oh, talk, it's calling out JT. And, and you know, I think JT should listen to that. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, don't smash your stick. He kind of called everybody out. Yeah. But OEL is the guy who did it last night. Yeah. I didn't see JT smash a stick last night. Yeah. Maybe he did in the locker room or something in, or in the hallway. You know, I don't, I don't know about that. Not but. not where it was visible. The only visible uh, stick smash was OEL going Hulk. Uh, going Super Hulk. Um, it would be nice to see him do that with his play. But it, this is a massive issue for the team because... Like, I, I, I saw some people say, well, you could just, like, you know, do what, what the Rangers did with, with Wade Redden. And it's like, well, you can't really do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got a full no move clause, so you can't even send him down to the minors. Yeah, like there's, you are so stuck with Oliver Ekman Larson outside of a buyout, it's beyond other solutions. Yeah, like your solutions are he plays better, you cross your fingers and he starts to play better, or you you go with the buyout plan, and the buyout plan offers potentially the best option this summer. Not if you wait. It's more for this year rather than down the line because you get almost the full cap hit in savings for this summer. Yeah. Well, that's just huge. It all comes down to that. Man, I love the text though coming in right now. Soapy, <laughs> you guys won't be making won't be making fun of OEL so much when he helps us get Bedard first overall. <laughs> uh, we talked about the NHL being the broke boys league. Uh, NHL uh, be ordering Uber Eats with student loans. That's what they're saying. Uh, this text unsigned. NHL brought to you in part by BetMGM. Yes. Yeah. Um, yes. The NHL somehow needs to get more fans. Mm. Yes. That's, that would be it. <laughs> As Brandon in Vancouver says, according to NHL surveys, the board ads have been big hit with fans. <laughs> yeah, that's sarcastic. <laughs> Very big hit. A huge hit with fans. Uh, so we weren't able to connect with Cam Robinson. Hopefully we'll get uh, to be able to do that for Prospect Central in the future. But um, we're going to keep the Canucks talk going. And 
There was one other thing we wanted to touch on from Rick Tockett's availability from this afternoon, Sat. And it was right at the end of his availability because Vasily Podkolzin was playing with Elias Pettersson together in practice today. And here is what Rick Tockett had to say as to why Podkolzin could be a fit with Elias Pettersson. Well, I actually liked his first three games. I, I, I thought he struggled last game. Uh, just get him a little different, fresh, fresh guys. Uh, you know, if he can, if he, we can develop a give and go game and his game cause problems around the net, then Petey can do his thing. I think if you get too much east-west with Petey, it's like, listen, I playing with Mary Lemieux and Wayne Gretzky, the two best players I've ever seen, and you guys probably say the same thing. They never wanted to play with East-West guys. They want North-South guys. And same thing with Crosby and McKinnon. You know, if we can get to develop these wingers where Petey has a North-South st- style of player, it's going to make his game easier. Then, you know, you play with East-West guys, it's tough because most of the teams protect the guts of the ice. So I think Pod Colson's a type of player that welcomes that, the gritty guy that, that can cause problems going to the net. There is uh, Rick Tockett. Speaking uh, to Satyar Shah and his want to have Elias Pettersson and Vasily Podkolzin be uh, a long-term duo together yes. in Vancouver. Yes, we do do know Kuzmenko and Pettersson are a very dynamic duo offensively. Yes. And long-term before Kuzmenko came in, the only guy I could identify on this roster was Podkolzin. This is going back to our post-season sort of discussions last year, yeah. like going back last March, April. It's like, who are the duos on this team? Yeah. And we're like, we're not quite sure. The only one I see and that I'm intrigued by long-term is put Colson and, and Pedersen. Yeah. You know, we're, we're not sure on where Garland's game's at and Besser, of course, too. And, you know, where does JT fit? We weren't sure about his contract. And it's like, you know, they don't play JT and Pedersen together. So if that's not a duo, then what's your best one? Long-term, probably put Colson. Then Kuzmiko came in and had success. But a lot of the reasons why is what, uh, talk had mentioned a guy who's north south is going to be able to win a lot of battles and be able to stretch guys out a little bit. You know, if you have a guy that's able to get on the forecheck and play that north south game, not only do you win puck battles, mm-hmm. you also create some space around the ice, right? And we have a lot of guys staying on the perimeter. Who's going to the inside? Who's doing a lot of that stuff, right? And, and we we oftentimes talk about Tanner Pearson and what he brings. And you know, without the pace, those are the things that he does, and that's why coaches like him playing on a line. You need that identity on a line, and. Put Colson, the great thing about him is he does a bit of everything. Yeah. And that's what's so exciting about his game. He can be the north-south guy, but he can score. He's got a great release, and he's a really deft playmaker. So if you can do all those things, make plays off the half wall, win battles, right, get north-south, and get to the middle of the net a lot, but then also you have soft hands, there's a lot of potential there. And I'd love to see Put Colson, Kuzmenko, uh, and Pedersen together on the line. We saw Mikheyev playing there, and Mikheyev is also similar in that regard. But I think Podkolzin has a potential to be a better playmaker. Right. You know, w- with Pods, so much about his game, it's almost like we forgot it because yeah. it, he hasn't played a lot this year for the big club. And you think about last year towards the end of the year, really having a lot of success. He's got that one-shot score ability because his shot can be so heavy when he gets it off, is able to go into the tough areas, does have some two-way sense, a lot of two-way sense coming out of the KHL. You see a lot of Russian wingers having that two-way sense about their game. And I see it as well. But I also take away from that, 
Rick Tockett views Elias Pettersson is the same light as uh, Sidney Crosby and Nathan McKinnon. <laughs> well, I mean, he, yeah, you know, you know what? But what, he, what did he say the other day when he was asked? He's like, I view him as a top 10 uh, player in the league. Yeah. You know, he said I had him in my top 10 list. You know, and he was like, maybe I didn't. Maybe I'm just saying that. But, like, it's clear he views Pettersson maybe not quite at that level, but in the discussion as the next guy is coming up potentially. Yeah. And that's how good he is. And you need to get guys around him that's going to make his life easier. Because if you make his life easier, he'll make everybody else's life a lot easier. Well, think about the best you know wingers that Sidney Crosby has had. Obviously, you know Jake Gensel is probably no. top of the list. Jake Gensel, yeah, but uh, Pascal Dupuis. Pascal Dupuis. What was Chris Kunitz before he showed up in in Pittsburgh? Really? Yeah, I you think know? he had a good year, and, and he went when he went back to Anaheim. He was pretty yeah. good. Had a couple of good years, but, but he yeah. really had his like Chris Kunitz would have never seen Team Canada without Sidney Crosby, right? I think we can all agree on that. It, it's, but it's not always about putting the most talented players you you possibly have together. There has to be a fit to it all at the same time. Well, and, and that's where we you know we talk about team identity is yeah. so important because if you know exactly what you're trying to accomplish as a team offensively, defensively, and through the neutral zone, then it's very e- it's much easier to identify players that are going to fit your style of play. And then what's the next process of it? It's like, okay, we, these, these are guys that fit our style of play. Now, what we need is the north-south guy. We mm-hmm. need the guy who plays the, the middle. And then you can have the guy who's, who's more of maybe the skill guy on the wing, potentially, right? You can have one of those guys there, maybe a playmaker or, or a shooter or a scorer or something tangible on that wing in your top six especially. So now you know exactly the types of players to go after and, and get to fill those types of roles. And that's not to say the team didn't try to do some of those things. And I actually think when the Canucks you know, were at their best under Travis and in going into the bubble year when they signed Furland and you know he ended up getting hurt, but you could actually see what they were trying to do. It was Pedersen, Miller, and Besser on the same line. Then it was Horvat playing with... Um, uh, Pearson. Pearson, and they tried Furlan for a while too, and he ended up playing on the on the other line. But they were trying to kind of have that same identity, you know, have a guy who's a bit of a shooter, Furlan guy. They had Levo in the mix too, playing that type of role, and they and had Berchi in the mix where they tried to see if he can be, you know, a skill guy. So that was kind of the idea in the past, but they never really stuck with it, and you kind of saw everything kind of fall apart. But now it's a lot clearer in terms of how you want to play as well, because that team, one of the things they tried to do with Jim Benning was they wanted their defensemen to make a lot of plays. Hold on to the puck. Make mm-hmm. plays. Hold on to the puck. Make plays. You know what Taka's talking about. Move the puck. Yeah. And how often do we see under Willie Desjardins a guy like Eric Goodbranson trying to make a play? And people got on Goody. It's like, what is this guy doing? He's overhandling the puck. And he did, but that's what he was told to do. They right. asked their defensemen to hold on to the puck, make a play, but that's not putting them in this position to be the, the best versions of themselves. And uh, where did Good, Good Branson have more success uh, in a third pair role where he was just get rid of the puck as quickly as he can? <laughs> exactly. <in laughs> Move Pittsburgh. it north south. <laughs> yeah. Kind of revitalized his career when he went to, went to Pittsburgh and Anaheim. Yeah. And, uh, and then Calgary, obviously. Gets the, the four by four deal from the Columbus Blue Jackets uh, this summer. Um, a lot of uh, comments coming into the Dunbar Lumber text line from Paul and Coquitlam. What are you guys smoking? Talking about Pod Colson's soft hands, he has one goal in 21 games. Yeah, I mean, he's he's not scoring goals. He struggled this year. Yeah. But he scored with 14 goals last year mm-hmm. as a rookie. His release is good. Like, he's got he's got good hands. Like, he's he's not going to be like a 35, 40 goal scorer, but he's going to be able to score 20 for you. If I'm not he, too worried about, you know, his offensive production not being there this season. He'll yeah. figure it out. He can make uh, some pretty slick 
stick handling moves too in, in tight yeah. spaces. You see him with a little toe drags here and there. Uh, not often, you know, he's not uh, Andre Kuzmenko, uh, but um, it, it, he will do it to give himself more space, free himself up to make a pass um, at, at different points of the game. If you really watch Pod Colson closely and the shot, like the shot is legit. You know, he's got a good shot. I yeah. mean, he, he he does have a lot of tangible skills. Has he put it all together? No, he hasn't. Mm-hmm. The reason I like you know, and he doesn't have a like I, his shots really good. I wouldn't say any of his offensive skills are a plus, mm-hmm. but they're like B solid. Like he's got good solid instincts. He's got good hands. He's got a nice release. You know, he's a smart player. N- nothing extraordinary, I'd say offensively, but it's good. But then he can do all the things we're talking about. The North-South game, right? He can win along the boards. He's very smart. He's very aware of what to do. And even Talkin before was praising his defensive awareness, yeah. you know, in terms of making defensive plays against the wall, getting pucks out, understanding where to take a man, understanding where not to cheat. And these are things we talk about. He does have high IQ. He's had his struggles. He's a young player. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to be patient with players and you got to take your time with them. But I- I'd still be very, very... Um, excited about the things Patolson can do and maybe it's because you know I'm becoming the old hockey man but <laughs> I can see him excelling in the areas this team can't excel in Dan and that's why I think Tockett's also very enamored with the kid uh, let's uh, let's go back to preseason when I uh, told everybody to pump the brakes on Pod Colson's breakout year oh you did you called it everybody was yelling at me wasn't 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 fun but I uh, still see a really good player coming in Pod Colson does a lot of things really well does he do one thing really, really well? Um, you know, that's that's still to be determined. But one one area I would like, you know, from his offensive game, can you be better at scoring from in tight? You know, in and around the net. You know, especially if you are going to play in in a top top line role, you've got to be able to you know clean up the garbage in the blue paint. There is a serious art to doing oh. those types of things and being able to get the puck up high For from a sure. real tight area, things like that. There is so much this kid still has to learn. There's yeah. so much this kid still has to learn. But we're talking about what he's 22 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, still very young. Uh, for Vasily Podkolz, and we'll Go see. work with Adam Oates. Go, you you <laughs> saw the lesson in terms of learning what to do in front of the net. Bo Horvat yeah. showed everybody what you, what you can do. Go, go and work on it. Uh, as for uh, Rick Tockett, looks like he is uh, going to give Podkolz a chance with Elias Patterson. So something to watch for ahead of the game against the New York Rangers tomorrow. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah. You are listening to Canuck Central. Catch up on what happened in Vancouver sports with Halford and Bruff in the morning. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Canuck Central in the Kintec studio. Dan Richo, Satyar Shah, Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. This hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company, helping local business since 1892. Uh, bon San Valentino to you, Sat. Uh, happy Valentine's Day. Yes, happy Valentine's Day to everybody. Uh, to all those going out, uh, making their dinner plans for this evening, maybe a bottle of red or whatever. I was at the, I was actually at the grocery store last night. It's funny how many uh, how many gentlemen I saw going to pick up like a 
<laughs> bouquet of flowers. flowers. <laughs> they did it yesterday to get ahead of it. I guess so. Yeah, have it. Yeah, that's that's smart. If you get ahead of it, because then you know you can surprise in the morning or something. Be yep. ready for it or whatever it is. You see them yeah. getting the 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 groceries to uh, and be like, I'm cooking tonight. Yes. Yeah. I'm gonna be making dinner. <laughs> dinner at home. That's uh, that's how it goes. Hope hope everybody has a has an enjoyable evening. Uh, should they be or not be celebrating, whatever it is. Uh, any Tuesday, always good to celebrate whatever it is you're doing on a happy Tuesday. Someone doesn't need to tell you to uh, show appreciation for loved ones. Yes, exactly. Um, Marcus and Gibson's showing appreciation to the great one uh, with this tweet. Old Gretz really did own our beloved Canucks, and it's a. Um, it's a graphic of Wayne Gretzky's career points against every NHL team and a reminder that he scored more points against the Vancouver Canucks than he did against any other team in the National Hockey League. Yeah, I mean... Uh, 239, by the yeah, way. Yeah, narrowly. I mean, not narrowly. Well, yeah, narrowly beating Calgary uh, and the Jets, who he had a 230 points against, against yeah. Jets slash Coyotes organization. So, yeah, those are the three teams. And for many years, of course, Vancouver, Calgary, Winnipeg, same division. I'd love to see Gretz in today's game. It'd be interesting. Oh, I mean, I'm sure he'd be great. Yeah. He's, the reason I think he'd be great is he's smart. Smart hockey players have success. Smarts, IQ, it, it travels. You know what I mean? And great. I mean, like, it wasn't like he was just a smart player who was bad at everything else. Like, yeah. great hands, <laughs> you know, incredible vision. Faster than people gave him credit for. Way faster than people gave him credit for. Great on his Remember edges. when he ran that, like, 100-yard dash yeah. against, like, uh, other top athletes and he ended up winning? Like, people make it out to be like, oh, you know, this skinny guy. Like, Wayne's a great athlete. Yeah, he was pretty uh, – oh, he didn't have the greatest slap shot or anything like that. Like, nah, like, chill. You know, like, he was relax. He was pretty great at everything. Uh, uh, that's why he's the great one. I, I love, like, it's, it's kind of like the romanticized version of the everyman who became the greatest greatest player ever <laughs> yes. you know it's like come on relax like he's uh, still a really good athlete let's yeah. not act like he wasn't i think i think we're overplaying that narrative a little bit that's, what was that movie the cinderella man yeah from, what was it with uh, russell crowe the yeah. boxer boxer whatever that's uh that's the narrative street i don't like to go down uh i'll, I'll say uh i'll say that much that's a no that's a no-go zone for you <laughs> like that's a dark alley you're afraid of yeah <laughs> the narrative alley that I that I avoid. Yes, uh, it's uh, it's the part of town in Narrative Street that I don't uh, that I don't love so much. Um, Earth said something really interesting earlier on the show. Mackenzie Weger, maybe not getting on so well in Calgary. Yeah, and and he made it clear that it's not like he's necessarily reporting anything, but saying you know like you know you can just tell by you know how. What how things playing, are playing how, out, how they're playing out, what they're paying him to do, and everything. It's like, hey, we gave we ju- we gave this guy a big contract, and mm, you know maybe he's not providing this year what we hoped to see him provide. And he plays, but he plays. I mean, this is a guy who was playing 22, 23 minutes a game to playing twenty minutes a game. Yep, in Florida to where he's at in Calgary, and Calgary can even out the minutes and everything, but doesn't get a ton of power play time. His numbers have gone down offensively. Mm-hmm. Um, only has 16 points this year, just one goal. Yeah. Kenzie Weger. And it came against the Canucks, but he's a good defensive defensively too. And he's a good offensive player. Like he can do a lot of different things. Like he, he's, he's really good. You know, uh, like Jesse texted and Satya Shaw, yeah. Wayne Gretzky, good hockey player, <laughs> but yes, same thing. Like he does, this guy's a good hockey player, but no, just, I mean, well, Weger's underlying metrics would suggest this is a fantastic hockey player. That's just, you know, not had the bounces, Maybe this year. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And 
So it just got it got me thinking because his no movement clause kicks in next year, mm-hmm. and would they consider moving him? Right? Maybe it's at the deadline. Maybe it's in the off season. Off season, I'd say more likely. Yep. But he's got a big contract. We're talking about fifty million. Somebody says Uyghur for Besser, lock it down. I don't think that's happening. No. I mean, if that happens, you take it and run, and you laugh. Mm-hmm. You giggle your butt off. Like that's you, not happening. You say, "How quickly can we get on the trade call?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are you sure about this? Yeah, and that's not no vetoes. <laughs> what about Uyghur for Miller? Would you do that if you're Vancouver? Hypothetically, I think like 98 percent of our listeners would say yes right now. So yeah, bo- both guys 29. Yeah, uh, but one year older. Uh, Miller is one year older. Yeah, yeah, slightly older. Eight eight million dollars left on his contract. Yeah, I mean, eight years left. Uh, Six point two five million per season. Fifty million he's owed. JT's owed fifty eight million. So JT's only more, worth $8 million more. Calgary's like JT in the past. We know this. It's been reported, and they've been interested numerous times. They're in him. on every Canuck. They Chris Tanev been. and Jacob Markstrom are basically AGMs right now for uh, Brad for Living. Yeah, right? So, I mean, and are there realistic trades out there for JT? I'd say if you want the prospect and a pick, probably unlikely. It's the kind of money-for-money money deal that it, you know, is what GMs have to sort of think about if they want to significantly or materially change their rosters. Yeah, and, and hey, maybe Calgary says no way. Yeah. Right? Like, right side it, It's entirely possible. Like, but, right shot D-man who's maybe had a yeah. bit of unluckiness go his way this year. But I do wonder, because there, there has been whispers around that with the season not going as well as it did last year, you know, that Daryl Sutter can wear on some guys. Yeah, so maybe you don't even bother... Yeah. You make the coaching change after this year, maybe. Yeah. It's already been three years. Mm-hmm. You know, two and a half because he came in. But, you know, if that's how they feel, they give, again, like I, I, all I all it made me think when Earth mentioned Uyghur hasn't been great and he said, hey, maybe they consider moving him. Just made me wonder. Uh, Don Waddell did also mention in that piece we talked about off the top of the show from The Athletic that uh, the Canucks were also trying to move term uh, as well. Um, in some of the discussions that he had with the Canucks. Yeah, and it's clear the Canucks are willing to move term. They want yeah. to move term. and They he, want to get some flexibility. They do, and it's just a matter of what players are, what, what players are we talking about. Yeah. There's a market for best for uh, Demko if you want to move him, but they don't, mm-hmm. right? Like, But there would be a market for him. JT's interesting. Would there be one or not? But, you know, Besser, we know what their situation is. You know, they want people to retain... Nobody's giving you the asset yet. Maybe it changes near the deadline. But Carolina wants term, they said. And this is clear. We even talked about this when uh, the Bo Horvat thing came up. They wanted to get permission to talk to Bo. The mm-hmm. Canucks never gave them permission. And it's clear why, because they didn't like Carolina's draft pick. Yeah, Carolina's going to be a late pick in the 20s. And Waddell said, hey, Vancouver just didn't have any interest in that. They wanted the best pick, and they got it. So... They're a team yeah. that wants to add somebody if they're giving something up for long term. You know, and uh, it was reported, Elliot mentioned, they they called Vancouver before on JT. Mm-hmm. So, so, I mean, uh, we'll see. I mean, are there p- teams out there that aren't afraid of adding a player like him and wouldn't be afraid of the contract? But you still have to give Vancouver something. Vancouver's not looking to dump him. Yeah. It, it's not a just uh, dump this player for whatever you can get. Bag of pucks. I know our uh, text message inbox might think that. But... Um, JT is still a valued player Yeah, for the Canucks and would be around the league um, even with 
the big contract. It's just you're probably not getting the package you would have been offered in the summer or even a year ago today. Uh, Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. I, I heard this uh, clip from Jason Kidd last night. So. All right. So uh, I, I'm crossing sports and trying to make everything make sense. So bear with me for a moment as I go through this. But uh, the Dallas Mavericks lost last night to the Minnesota Timberwolves. They are of interest because they just added Kyrie Irving from the Brooklyn Nets. And, you know, you're like, okay, they got Doncic, they got Irving, they got some really good pieces there. But they don't play a lot of defense. Who's going to defend? In Dallas. Who's the perimeter defender? Who's the inside defender? Who's protecting the post? Adding Kyrie Irving doesn't really help any of those issues that the Dallas Mavericks have. Here is the uh, clip from Jason Kidd. Do you feel like your interior defense is an issue? No. We're here here to outscore people. (laughs) People come to see points, not not, not, uh, 80 to 80. We're we're here to score. This is the new NBA. Um, The interior defense, we'll, we'll figure it out. We got plenty of bigs. Uh, one of our defenders, you know, when we talk about our defense, Maxie's out. Hopefully we get him back after the break. But um, the way that we competed there in, this, in that fourth quarter, um, we had everybody was small. Um, and so interior defense is about your one and will, and, and that group did that. And so um, understanding we, we have an <laughs> offensive team that can put a lot of points on the board. And uh, we spotted him 20-something points and found a way to uh, to come down to the last possession. Somebody really had the sniffles there in the background. Yeah. It's tough, tough, tough scene at the Mavericks press conference. Sound like poor Elliot Friedman. <laughs> Elliot's been, like, dealing with something for, like, a month. And he still doesn't Those take a day cops, off. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. Man, the guy is just uh, – Can't take a day off, man. He, he plays hurt a lot. Um, all right. I, I found that clip fascinating. I love the um, candidness from Jason Kidd to be yeah. like – Look, we can't pretend to be something we're not. Like, yeah, we are who we are. We're an offensive team, and we're doubling down on that. At at points, we got to play better defense, sure, but you know, we're we're here to outscore people. And you know, it's. I think we are moving into an age set where the defense wins championships moniker is maybe seen as more of a cliche now than it ever did before. Yeah. And, and I do agree with it to a certain extent. It's not that you don't need defense. You do. But this is something that we're seeing in all sports. And I think it's partially the analytics age where the goal at the end of the day is just to outscore people. Mm-hmm. How do we do that best with the roster we have available to us? And Jason Kidd is saying, we're here to outscore people. That's how we're going to win basketball games. The Kansas City Chiefs, a lot better defensively this year, but they are an offensive juggernaut, Mm -hmm. and we've got to be good enough defensively. You look at the last seven Super Bowl championship teams, they all finished seventh in points per game or better, and most of them were top five. They all had defenses that finished in the top half, of points per game, but only one was a top five defensive team. That was the 2017 Eagles. Look at the NHL. Basically all of the NHL teams that have won a Stanley cup in recent memory, going all the way back to Pittsburgh's back to backs. They were a top end offense outside 
of the St. Louis Blues. Also happened to have some pretty good defenses in there as well. But it wasn't as consistent as having a top-end offense was to winning a championship. Yeah, but what offense has won a championship with a bad defense? With, a, with an objectively bad defense. Okay, there's where the argument falls because there isn't really an argument for that. You have to be able to get stops. You do. You know, and I, I know for the longest time I haven't, like, I don't cover the NBA anymore like I used to. I don't watch the NBA as aggressively as I used to. But for a long time, you had to be a top 10 team in defensive efficiency to win it to win an NBA championship. You still have to be a top half of the uh, yeah. league team in that regard. And come the postseason, the game changes in the NBA as well. There are less possessions. It's not quite as free flow. It's changed dramatically from where it was. Yeah. But but the line of centers moved. You know what I mean? And still defensively, I mean, still in the postseason, it's not going to be quite... You're going to get a lot more half-court sets. Yes. And that means you have to have good half-court defense. It won't be as much transition plays. So if you don't know how to handle switches, don't know how to handle these things, you're going to get chewed up alive. And if you don't have somebody that can protect the rim, you're going to have trouble. Basketball Phil texts in and says, um, Dallas has the good Canadian kid, Dwight Powell, as their best uh, defensive player, big, big guy. He's solid. Yeah. But the last time the Mavs, well, the only time the Mavs won a championship was when they had Dirk Nowitzki. Mm-hmm. But you know who they had protecting the paint? Tyson Chandler, mm-hmm. one of the best defensive players in the NBA inside, right? Yeah. Look at Golden State. Why did they win? Draymond Green, one of the best defensive players in the NBA, plus well, good team Clay, defense. Clay was an incredible yeah, defender before well. everything fell apart for him, yeah. right? I mean, go through the list of teams. They all had great defenders. And look at hockey now, too. And I think it's changed as well. I don't think you can win in hockey maybe having a team that's inept offensively that catches fire. Yeah, like you're not seeing a New Jersey Devils-type team win the, win the cup anymore. No, I mean, the closest was uh, – was that the – the Islanders two years ago when they pushed the Islanders when they got to the final Eastern Conference final twice two years in a row uh, with just impeccable defense under Barry Trotz that would have been your best bet and they they went up against I mean and Tampa Bay I guess Dallas in the bubble year yeah where they were just like they were close but we're we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna try and play as low event hockey as we possibly can and, and hope for the best but there's a ceiling it seems yeah. there right and that you can get really far, but can you actually win the championship? And it hasn't shown that yet. Not, not in the cap era. Like Did, We haven't seen that happen in the cap era. Like people point to the LA Kings. They were lower scoring in the season. Yeah. But in the postseason, they would score. And, and look at their top players. I mean, they had firepower on that team. When you try to play a style that just completely sort of, you know, tries to eliminate scoring chances, you pl- try to play as low event as you possibly can. It's it's essentially saying we know we're the less talented team, yeah. so we're trying to even the odds here mm-hmm. as much as we can. And that's what you know, Rick Bonus had been great at in Dallas over the last couple of years. It's essentially what the Canucks tried to do to Vegas that yeah. year in the bubble. And if you go back and look at some of the the game reports from that game on, nat- on those games from Natural Statric, you'd see that the scoring chances – we're actually fairly even compared to what the actual shot totals were yeah. in some of those games because they created a lower event environment, or the Canucks tried to. They protected the interior, the guts of the ice. My point about all this is, like, I was thinking about Eric Carlson going to the Edmonton Oilers. Yeah. Or even, you know, the, lately the rumor is Patrick Kane going to the Edmonton Oilers. And for a lot of people, it's like, well, Edmonton needs to get better defensively. They don't need another superstar scorer. But what if that's not available to you? Why not double down on what makes you great? Why not keep adding elite offensive talent and say, 
what's the difference to winning a game 7-5 to 2-1? Yeah. You because know, there's this myth, well, not a myth, there's this feeling that you have to play defense, that there's going to be less scoring in the postseason. It, the game gets checked tighter, it's harder to win, there's less space, all of these things that have some truth in them. They, no, not some truth, they are true. But if you have Eric Carlson, Leon Dreisaitl, and Connor McDavid, that gives you three offensive juggernauts that's going to be tough for anybody to stop, no matter what. Sure, but you still got to defend. I don't care. You got to defend in hockey in the postseason. Show me a team that doesn't have any defenseless conscience. I think what this also shows is Darnell Nurse and Tyson Berry aren't moving the puck as well as they need to. Yeah. And Barry scores a lot of his points on the power play. Mm -hmm. Nurse hasn't had as much success as you would have hoped after signing that massive contract. Nurse 5 on, I mean, and Barry 5 on 5 has his issues as well. So I think they actually do need a puck mover 5 on 5. Yeah. And Evan Bouchard does a good job of it, but doesn't have a lot of pace to his game. And there are certain moments where he does get caught, whereas Carlson has defensive issues, but he's better still at recovering. His skating is a lot better this year. It's kind of back to being, you know, that plus skater, at least. Not quite the plus-plus skater, but at least he's, you know, he's moving well. There was the report that McDavid and Dreisaitl want a puck mover. Yeah, and it makes sense. It actually makes sense for their team. It does. Like, when I looked at their team and, and I've watched Edmonton, they don't move the puck as well as they need to. Yeah. I think they do need that. But I, but I don't think that's coming at the cost of them wanting to be, you know, they don't care about defense. Like, I think they view it as, this is a massive need for us. You're not going to win if you can't defend in the NHL. Like, what champ, what team has won a championship in the National Hockey League that, that doesn't know how to defend? What team? In 20 years. The closest example would probably be the Washington Capitals. Yeah, and the Capitals that year? Had Barry Trotz as head coach. Exactly. One of the greatest defensive-minded hockey coaches yes. in recent and, and they played a really strong team game in general yep. that year. They did, right? And one thing they got, they were ahead of the curve too because they devalued shots mm -hmm. and valued scoring chances. And not just scoring chances, they really ushered in the era of let's get more passes across, across the middle, east-west before the shot. Yep. And we've always known that that's a dangerous shot, but they really changed their offense to really focus in on creating better scoring chances and the the league kind of caught on to it and they really took advantage of that so they found something which I thought was brilliant in today's hockey an advantage for you seeing the game offensively slightly differently mm -hmm. and everyone's going to catch up but you get the advantage right it's almost like we see in the NFL sometimes you know Sean McVay and some of these great innovators they come in one year catch everybody off guard people steal all their, a lot of their stuff and then it's harder to do but it becomes part of the wrinkle that everybody does and now we're seeing the game played that way so that's why I think Trotz is such a magnificent coach it's not just about defense it's about what you could do offensively. But yeah, I, there isn't a single team that's won a Stanley Cup that has, hasn't had some defensive ace as part of their group. The Pittsburgh Penguins, now they're obviously an interesting example because they have the greatest player of this generation on their roster, so that helps. But the second, the second half of their back-to-back -back cups, they were first in offense that year, mm -hmm. 17th in goals against per game. Yeah. But that's goals that's, against per game. That's the lowest of any team in recent recent yeah. years. And that's just goals against. But if you looked at their overall team play. Not their metrics, yeah. They played really strong. I mean, they played strong two-way hockey. I mean, Sidney Crosby was just dominating on both ends of the ice. Yes. You know, and you have Malkin dominating on both ends of the ice. I would say. And they had Chris Letang. So my thing about this is there are, like, I'd rather try to 
go out and make myself better at what I do best than try to force covering up an issue that's already on my team. Like the Florida Panthers going out and getting Ben Sherratt last year. Right. What did that help? Yeah, I mean, you know, like it didn't help out, but was he the reason they lost? He wasn't necessarily like, yeah, they got completely, you know, bulldozed by the Tampa Bay Lightning in that series. Yeah, they, I mean, and, you know, that's why Brunette lost his job. Yeah. Like, and I thought they overpaid for Sherrod, but one thing Sherrod, I mean, it makes sense though. Like, you're trading, you think of yourself as a cup contending team. Yeah. And you're looking at it and saying, as we go deeper in the postseason, round by round, it gets tougher and harder and harder. Mm-hmm. Right. And the players that don't have as much value in the regular season have more and more value that are good at those things. And Sherrod's good at defending in front of his net, clearing it and being physical and all those. He is good at those things. But we never got to see the value for it yeah. because they got throttled in four games. They got slapped around and it was over, you yeah. know, and that's kind of the bad end of it. And it's good. You can look at it and say, yeah, but Sherrod was never going to determine whether they win a round or two. It was more about, is he going to help you shore up your need for when you get to round three and when if you get to the cup final? And that's when the game gets even tighter and harder to play. And we have guys that can battle in those trenches. As for the Canucks right now. This is like all Rick Tockett talks about, the guts of the ice. <laughs> yeah. They don't have any guys that play uh, interior defense. And uh well, and they, and they leaned into offense. I mean, they tried remember they tried a little bit of this going back a couple of years and we thought it was, hey, it makes sense. You tried to be defensive, but then it work lean into being offensive. I think the Leafs have done that at certain points too. Mm-hmm. It's not worked for anybody, really. No. You the gotta... lightning, if anything, the lightning were like the lightning are the best example to why this doesn't work in hockey, where they're like no, we we really need to get more physical. Like bring in Pat Maroon, bring in some of these other guys. Yes, we'll pay two first round picks for for Brandon Hagel and or Blake Coleman and all these guys because we need to get better at uh, the value plays, <laughs> as people like to say around these parts. Value plays. Uh, this text: Argentina didn't play a lick of defense the whole World Cup. Uh, well, Christian. Uh, Christian uh, Romero, he uh, he bullied some people. He did. <laughs> I'll say that. The World Cup, though, I mean, those are the types of tournaments where it would be the exception. But even generally there, defensive teams generally win. Yes. Italy, the German sides that have been very good have been good, very structured teams, hard to break down. Especially at set pieces. It's yeah. single knockout, so yeah. it's it's really tough. Um, it, <sighs> like France didn't win because they went out and bulldozed teams. It was because they're winning. They played well defensively. Yeah, one nothing. They weren't give them, giving anything up. Uh, Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. All right, we're back tomorrow. Kevin Woodley, our goalie guru, will join us. We'll be from Rogers Arena as the Canucks take on the New York Rangers. For all the producers on the show today, Mac, Elon, Josh. Somebody else must have done something somewhere, (laughs) too. (laughs) My co-host, Sat. I'm Dan Richo. You've been listening to Canucks Central.